Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to St. Matthew's this morning. It's great to see you here. As we get underway, let's get on our feet and let's lift our voices in praise to God as we sing, What Shall I Do, My God, to Love? Please stand. I'm really impressed at the voice you can find at 8 o'clock in the morning. 
Uh, well done. It's really good down in the front row uh, hearing you sing. Well done. Uh, and welcome to St Matthews again. Uh, a warm welcome to you if you're a guest with us. And it's nice to see um, Bob uh, Saunders back with us, someone said. It's, uh, welcome back, uh, Bob. Lovely to have you here. And I understand John Jones, wherever he is, has brought a guest, of long, uh, a friend of long standing uh, for many years in the military. Uh, to those of you who are online, welcome to you as well. Uh, for our guests, my name's Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here at St Matthews. Uh, today, uh, we return to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's our fourth talk on, uh, on this part of God's Word. And in this part of God's Word, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're hearing Jesus coming uh, with the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. It really is a, a vision for what the good life looks like under his rule. Although for some who hear what Jesus says is good about sexual faithfulness, it can sound terrible. If, if they haven't learned to trust Jesus or don't understand why he says what he says. So Nathan Campbell, as he teaches this morning, will be probing with us why Jesus speaks so strongly against any form of sexual unfaithfulness outside of marriage. Now, this may be a very tender issue for you. It could present all kinds of difficulties. But rest assured, the kingdom of Jesus, the, the kingdom that he brings is good news. It really is good news for each of us. Uh, in addition to that, we'll hear the next in our, our little series uh, of, of, of opportunities to be a contributing member here at St Matthews. Uh, we'll hear an interview with our business manager, Christina Fronsay, uh, about opportunities to contribute as a member of St. Matthew's behind the scenes. Really interesting interview. As you think about what it takes to, to make this place work as we seek to work together to see God's church grow through the gospel. It's not just things that happen in public, but even on a Sunday, I think we need not, nearly 40 people behind the scenes at our four services to make things work. And it might be that there's an opportunity for you that you find fits perfectly with your gifts and, and availability to really make a difference in the work we're doing together as a church. But before we go any further, we're going to be coming to God in prayer, firstly with a prayer of preparation for the rest of our service together, then with a prayer of thanksgiving, and there'll be some other things as well. But please join me as we pray about our time together this morning together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And there is so much for which we can be thankful to God for. It's, it's a good thing to do, isn't it? To quite deliberately lift our, our prayers of thanks to him. So please join in this prayer of thanksgiving as well. Gracious God, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given to us, for life and health and safety, for power to work, leisure to rest, and for all that is beautiful in creation and human life. But above all, we praise you for our Saviour Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, for the gift of your spirit, and for the hope of sharing in your glory hearts with all joy and peace in believing, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
And Psalm 19 is really a celebration of God's goodness in revealing himself to us through the creation, yes, but especially through his written word. Please join me as we recite Psalm 19 together. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Amen. Sorry. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my God and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. We've now got uh, video news, including that uh, interview with Christina Fonsei. Hello there and welcome to St Matthews Today. My name's Scott, I'm one of the ministers here and I'm with our business manager, Christina, who's been a bit of the star of the small screen and church news of late. Hello, Christina. Hello, Scott. Now, if you're here for the first time or first time in a long time, we'd uh, love you to let us know that you've joined us today. Uh, and you can do that by filling in our digital connect card, which is accessible via this small little card in the seats in front of you. And that way we can give you a full and proper welcome in the week ahead and we'd really love to do that. Now the main thing to let everyone know about today is that our celebration dinner is coming up very, very soon. That's Wednesday the 16th of November in the evening. Places are filling fast and if you've ever been to a celebration dinner, you know it's a great night of um, excellent food and warm conversation and lots of encouragement as we hear stories about how God has been at work amongst us in the, in the year just gone. So lots to be thankful for, lots to be really heartened by, but you've got to actually be there to experience all that. Tickets are $50, that just covers the cost of food alone. We certainly don't want money to be something that stops people from coming, Christina, so um, if money's a reason for you to stay at home, please get in touch with Christina at the office and we'll see if we can get you along. It really will be a highlight of your time here at St Matthews this year. You can buy tickets online via the events page of our website or following the link in Bruce's weekly email. Now, Christina, normally um, in our services the last few weeks, we've been doing these contributing member spots. And today we're, we're doing the third of our contributing member spots and we're thinking about opportunities to serve behind the scenes. And I guess in church, the upfront roles are obvious, aren't they? But they only work because of very important tasks that happen behind the scenes. And you know what it's like when behind the scenes stuff like tech stops working, stops working, <laughs> stops working. Now, Christina, you and your husband, Parvin, you've run successful small businesses for many years. So I, I imagine you would have lots of experience um, of how like small jobs are critical to making small businesses work. But in your role as business manager here at church, I reckon you'd also have a keen eye as to how the behind the scenes tasks are critical to our success as we try to grow God's church through the gospel. So tell us a little bit about that. 
That's definitely correct. Um, I work in an amazing team here at St Matt's in the office and the upfront roles are really obvious. Uh, Scott and the, the ministers do an amazing job, but what we do behind the scenes and with a lot of help from volunteers is also super, super critical. So to all of those people who already perform those tasks and volunteer with us behind the scenes, thank you so much. That just helps us to continue to operate as a church and it also helps us to continue to grow the gospel in Manly and beyond. Um, there are a lot of behind the scenes tasks and they're already being done by people within the office, um, behind the sound desk and in live streaming, uh, in the Daly Smith building, in car parking and, and across lots of different ministries in the church. So it is wonderful to see so many people yep. serving. And we're, we're very thankful for uh, everybody who serves, so thank you if that's you. Now we're here today because we have some kind of particular roles in mind and it's not really a case of us um, just having gaps and looking for warm bodies to fill them. We're really hoping that people have a sense that they're serving the Lord and growing as his disciples in those roles. But do you want to tell us about some of the roles that we're looking for at the moment? Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Scott. So some roles are relating to Sunday services weddings and funerals, mm -hmm. um, and also in the Daly Smith building and across venue management. Okay. Um, so I, I gather that we're particularly after folks to help out with sound and data and kind of live streaming. So what kind of person would be good at that kind of role? Uh, we would love somebody, first of all, to be super keen and interested in that. They need to be comfortable with tech. Mm -hmm. We can teach them anything they need to yep. know. Uh, they need to be cool under pressure and be able to problem solve. But once again, we provide plenty of training. Okay, excellent. And I, I also understand that for people that might be involved in kind of sound and data stuff on Sunday services, they can also help out with funerals and weddings, which are typically kind of paid gigs. Yeah, absolutely. So we do need um, data live streaming people to help with our uh, weddings and funerals and, and we do pay for that role. So there's uh, a paid component and then for internal ministries, an unpaid volunteer component, but both are, are hugely um, vital for us. Absolutely. Um, now, I understand that we're after a role of, or people to help out with verging, mm -hmm. which is an unusual term. Do you want to tell us what a verger is? A verger is sometimes known as a floor manager. They look after our funerals and weddings as a first point of contact. They liaise between the office, the funeral directors and, and all of the people that attend weddings and funerals. They need to have great attention to detail, excellent communication skills and just be willing and happy to help people in at, at the funeral or wedding that they're attending. Yeah, which can be emotional times, right? That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, now that's, uh, that's also a pay gig because it's often a, for a few hours, sometimes on a Saturday or midweek as well, so that seems fair enough to me. So there's, there's sound and data people to help out with Sunday services. There's verges to help out with funerals and weddings. Is there anyone else you think you could really do with having an extra hand at the moment? Yes, I do. There are, uh, our venue management has grown organically, but it's really an area of growth within our church. Um, and we're looking for somebody who can help in the Daly Smith building, but across the entire site to help with um, internal and external venues, set up. Um, so like events kind of things. It, it, it is, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. right. Okay. Um, so that's going to be, I imagine, not like a, a regular slot every week, but kind of a bit more ad hoc? 
It is, it is ad hoc, but we provide plenty of notice and excellent communication so that you can do that job really well. Okay, yes. excellent. Um, so if it sounds like you, we'll, we'll tell you how to get in touch with us in just a moment. So sound and data people, vergers for weddings and funerals and kind of event helpers for Dali Smith and other places on site. I think we've kind of outlined the sorts of folks that were really, um, or who are usually good at these behind the scenes roles. What difference do you think um, being involved in these areas or serving in these areas makes for the person who's involved? Obviously it helps us, but what does it do for the person? Um, as an admin team, it, it's a great support for us. Um, it's day-to-day it's -day work behind the scenes and it enables other ministry. It, it also is extremely satisfying, so. Yeah, and, and I think, um, I mean, I'm always grateful for all the help that people give. It helps me to do my job better. I guess I really also um, think that it will help um, anyone who serves in ministry grows as a disciple of Jesus, I think. Uh, if they're doing it for him. And one of the good things about behind the scenes sort of ministries is not everybody's an upfront kind of person, um, but the thing is God sees everything. And I think he takes a particular pleasure in people who serve him who, who may not get any of the kind of attention that those people that do upfront kind of ministries do. Okay, Christina, maybe the last question is, how do people let you know that they're keen to be involved in sound or data or verging at weddings, funerals, or helping out with um, uh, events in the Daly Smith building and other places on site? There's a couple of things you can do. Our 8am congregation, you'll find a slip of paper. Take that, fill it in, express your interest um, in being able to help us behind the scenes uh, and somebody will be in touch with you. But if you're at 10, five or night church, you can use the Connect card and um, f express your interest via the Connect card and somebody will get in touch with you. Or call the office and speak to me if you've got any questions. Yeah, and in fact, I think we'd be pretty keen if, if you're interested, not just in um, some of the behind the scenes stuff we've been talking about today, but helping out with kids ministry, very pressing need to have um, volunteers in primary age kids ministry as well as mini mats on Mondays and Tuesdays or even the pastoral care stuff that Andrew Graham talked us through a couple of weeks ago, you, you could indicate that on your slip of paper or via the digital connect card, which would be an excellent thing to do. Um, I think the service leader is gonna walk you through how to do that right now. The only other thing to say is, you might wanna grab um, the brand new Hot for the Press, Serving at St Matthew's booklet, if you're interested in serving in this way or any other way, and I commend serving in ministry to you wholeheartedly. Thank you so much. Thank you. There are some copies of that booklet uh, that Scott mentions there, uh, which is a comprehensive view of opportunities to contribute by serving at St Matthew's. Uh, you could pick that up later. But I hope you got one of these flyers on the way in, and I'm just going to make a couple of comments about it. Um, and in fact, it might be that already you know that you've got gifts in sound, just tick that box right now, um, uh, turn a good intention into a, a concrete action like that. I will make a, a couple of comments. One is to say that one thing that's missing from there, from an eight o'clock special, is Chris reminded me that there are some gaps on our welcoming roster for a Sunday morning. That's a monthly roster. Uh, you could talk to Chris. Where is Chris? Uh, can you see, would you stand up, Chris? You could talk to Chris afterwards if you're open to being involved in welcoming, coming a bit early. 
being a friendly uh, presence at the beginning of the service. There's a few other jobs. Uh, otherwise, you could fill that out on this card. The other thing is that in relation to children's ministry, we are looking for people for next year. You don't have to start next week if you volunteer now. And in fact, to volunteer now would give you an opportunity to have a bit of training, maybe even to pop in one day and see what's involved. You could do that, have a look and see whether you think that might work for you. So have you had a chance to fill that out? I'd love to receive them from you at the end, uh, after the service or we could chat over morning tea further about that. Right now, uh, um, Pamela is going to come and lead us in prayer and then we'll be singing together our, our offertory hymn. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Almighty and merciful Father, we come humbly before you this morning knowing we can trust you to hear our petitions which we bring to you now. We thank you that here at St Matthew's Church in Manly, we meet in your name as a community of your people. And we are very conscious of those who are part of our church family, but through illness or lack of mobility, are no longer able to be physically here in the building with us. We thank you that they are still able to be part of our gathering through modern technology. Gracious God, have mercy on those people, including Robert and Ruth Ross, Theodora Smith, Norma Odlam, Liz Gillam, Jen and Russ Mattix, Basil and Edie South, Irene Hung, Ian and Jeannie Johnson, and particularly we remember Pat Irving in palliative care at Mona Vale. May they all know your peace and presence in their lives today and the days to come. We particularly pray this morning for Michael here as part of our church, who seeks to receive permanent residency in Australia. We pray that as he goes for his interview on Tuesday, that you would give him your peace. We would long that he might receive that residency approval. And we ask that you might work through your spirit those that are involved in this. But let us now spend a few moments silently bringing before God those known to us with special needs through illness, bereavement, separation, loneliness, or a breakdown in a relationship. Shall we pray? Hear these our prayers, dear Lord. Our Father, as we've just heard from Scott and Christina, we know that we all need to share in contributing to this community of St Matthews. Please speak to each of us how we can be active members of this church, particularly in the areas where there are real needs, such as serving at the sound and data desk on Sundays and the many other areas that have been spoken of. Gracious God, you have placed this church in such a strategic part of Manly, so help each of us to play our part so the saving gospel of Jesus Christ will reach the maximum number of people. 
God of the nations, whose kingdom rules over all, have mercy on our broken and divided world. Shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all people and banish from them the spirit that makes for war, that all races and people may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your laws. Heavenly Father, so many are suffering throughout New South Wales and Victoria with the devastating floods. We ask you to protect them. Help people to be wise and not take risks. Bless and guide those who are labouring in these areas. And we beseech you, good Lord, to allow the river levels to fall so human life and property is no longer in danger. We give you thanks for hearing these prayers as we pray them through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand now for our next hymn, which will be our offertory hymn. <laughs>
Good morning, church. Our Bible reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 37. And if you want to uh, grab the church Bible in front of you, it's on page 969. So we're reading from Matthew 5, verses 27 to 37. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is God's word. Passage. Seems like I get all the easy sermons, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, good morning. I haven't met you before. My name's Nathan. Welcome to those who are watching online as well. There is a uh, prayer I've been praying all week in preparation for this morning, written by an English poet and minister from the 1600s called George Herbert. I'm going to pray that prayer for us as we begin. Let's pray. O oh Lord, Make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and to conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but may it accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Amen. No other section of scripture makes us face ourselves like the Sermon on the Mount. It is violent, but its violence can be our ongoing liberation. So says Kent Hughes in his commentary on Sermon on the Mount, and he had to have had today's passage in mind, right, as he, as he wrote it, because violence might seem like a bit of an extreme word to use, and yet here Jesus is talking about lopping off limbs and plucking out eyes, like that sounds pretty violent to me. And the whole sermon is confronting, isn't it? 
All 2,000 words of it make us face ourselves in one way or another. And I'm sure you've, you've sensed that, right, since we've, we've begun the series together. But I think these verses before us today are perhaps some of the most confronting in the whole thing. Like, I wonder how you felt when you found out this was the passage that we were going to be looking at this morning. Might have been similar to the way I felt when I found out I'd be the one preaching it. <laughs> when I was uh, growing up through a youth group and, uh, and as a young adult, this was a kind of week at church that I didn't mind skipping because it was a little close to the bone. During uh, the lockdowns last year, I briefly took up running. Those are not my legs, by the way. I, I don't look at all like a runner when I run because I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It took a global pandemic to get me to put my running shoes on. But I remember in, in that initial week, a week and a half, those first few runs, getting back into it, sore is the best description for how I was feeling. Uh, you might know what that feels like. Standing up, hurt. Taking the stairs, hurt. Even bending down to put on socks, it hurt. I reckon it would have been uncomfortable for about a good week and a half. It wasn't nice. I was uncomfortable, but you know, it, it was a good uncomfortable. It was a good uncomfortable, because the pain actually meant that something was happening, something was starting to change. And of course, that was why I was running in the first place, to change something. And change is what we're after in the Christian life as well, isn't it? To be growing in godliness, to be maturing in our faith, to be drawing closer to God. That's one of the reasons why we gather here together each week, isn't it? That by God's Spirit, we might be reshaped. Reshaped more and more and more into the image of His Son. Changed. And just like physical change, spiritual change can often involve being uncomfortable, can't it? But it's a good uncomfortable. It's a good uncomfortable because it means something is starting to happen. And I've actually been praying all week that today's word across the day might be doing that for us, even if it's uncomfortable at points. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to start by thinking about what makes today's verses so confronting. I think it's because there is a yawning chasm between the Bible's view of sex and the way that our world thinks about it. And then we're going to have a look at how that really relates to what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount and what I think is really his call to faithfulness. And we're going to finish by thinking about where that leaves us. How do we live a life of faithfulness in this collision of the kingdoms? So firstly, there is a massive yawning chasm between what the Bible teaches us about sex and what the world tries to teach us. The two sides really couldn't be further apart. And there is lots of varied and complex reasons for how this chasm has opened up and how it has continued to widen. And a lot of it is, is owed to the Enlightenment period and particularly to the influence of philosophies like Romanticism in the late 18th century. But the gap widened with thinkers like Sigmund Freud in the early 20th century. And then more recently, there's been technological developments like the pill, which fanned the flames of the sexual revolution in the 60s, 
or things more recently like the internet, which have just turbocharged our access to things like pornography. There's a ton that you could unpack in all of that and far more to say. We're not going to do that today, but I encourage you to check out uh, Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, if you're interested in finding out more. It's a, it's a pretty dense book, just a heads up on that. So you actually could start with his follow-up to that, um, Strange New World, which is a little more accessible. But it is worth looking at, I think, if you're interested in finding out how it is we got to this point, right, where the chasms come from. But today, our world proclaims that sex is really just about one. Numero uno, it's just you. Your sexuality, your needs, your preferences, your way. Sex is about you. And, and in this age of expressive individualism, sex is actually one of the key ways that we define who we are. So it's primarily about one, you. That's the first thing. Secondly, we have gone to just enormous efforts in order to decouple sex from any other purpose apart from pleasure. That sex is for making you feel good. That's about it. Today, it's, it's, it's basically just been reduced to a, to a recreational activity, hasn't it? Purely for pleasure. And technology now lets us have sex without the risk of pregnancy. And it also lets us get pregnant with actually not even needing sex at all. We have decoupled sex from every other purpose than the pursuit of our own pleasure. And the natural flow on from these two things is that sex is now something that, that's taken. Because if it's just about me and my pleasure, well then it's up to me to go and get it, to find it. And, and that's, you know, however I want, with whomever I want, whenever I want. And, and the only condition we now place on that, basically, is consent, isn't it? So long as the other person consents, you are free to take. So those are the three elements, I think, that, that really undergird the way that our world thinks and acts and talks about sex. It is you taking pleasure. That's basically it. And I think the ultimate embodiment of, of that kind of attitude, that kind of philosophy, is pornography. One person, purely for pleasure, taking sex whenever they feel like it. And, you know, porn is now such a, a, an accepted part of the sexual experience. We have celebrities who are famous purely because of pornography. Wrap your head around that one. Right? We call them porn stars. And their, their, their autobiographies become bestsellers. They star in reality shows on free-to-air TV. They, they're sought after for public speaking gigs. They, they boast millions of followers on social media. And they even start political parties and run for office. My goodness. Online pornography is now a multi-billion dollar industry. And it is the perfect embodiment, I think, for how our world thinks about sex. Friends, that is basically the exact opposite of how God has designed sex to be. 
there is a yawning chasm that separates them. See, from the very beginning of the Bible, sex has always been about two, not one. God designed it to exist only within the framework of relationship. It's, it's highly relational. It's about a man and a woman becoming one flesh together. It's about two. And, and this gets spelled out for us, of course, in just the second chapter of the whole Bible, Genesis 2. And it's not some prudish ideal that's been invented by the Puritans in the 16th century, right? From the very, very very beginning, this is the way that God has designed it to be. It, it is so inherently relational. Genesis uses the word yada, which means to know. It uses that word as a euphemism for sex. And so older translations of Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, for instance, read, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. Sex as one actually makes no sense according to the Bible because at its very core, it's relational. It's about two. And while, while God certainly designed it to be pleasurable, He also designed it to be so much more. So at the end of Genesis 2, it actually describes the first husband and wife becoming one flesh. That's not just talking about sex, that's talking about a total unity. A husband and wife who share everything. And it's a unique, it's a unique unity. Like they don't share that kind of intimacy. They don't share that kind of vulnerability with anyone else. There is no other single relationship they have that will be like it, right? It's completely unique. And this is crazy when you think about it. But the, the physical union that a couple shares in sex... It is so powerful, so profound, that it actually symbolizes, it symbolizes and it strengthens all the other areas of unity that they share, financially, emotionally, socially, spiritually, a shared past, a shared present, and a lifelong commitment to a shared future. All of that is actually embodied by what they share physically. Isn't that amazing? And, it's, it's, and it forms what's really the safest, most stable foundation for welcoming the gift of children, which is obviously what sex does as well. I love the way that, that Tim and Kathy Keller put it in their book about marriage. They put it like this. They say, sex is perhaps the most powerful, God-created way to help you give your entire self to another human being. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently and exclusively to you. I particularly like that it's, you can see there, give your entire self to another. Now that's really the last sharp difference with the world, part of this chasm. See, God's designed sex as something to be given, not taken. It's not taking what you need, it's, it's, it's about giving yourself to your spouse. And Paul makes this point abundantly clear when he writes to the church in Corinth, 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, he, he puts it like this. He says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. He's talking about sex. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it, gives it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it, gives it to his wife. And the word that Paul uses there at the top, fulfill, fulfill marital duty, apodidomai in Greek, it literally means to give, to hand over. You see, sex is not taking from, it's forgiving to. And that might not seem like that big of a difference, but it really is a chasm. It's a chasm, you see, because to take is actually to focus on ourselves. It's to focus on ourselves. What am I getting? Is this working for me? Is this what I want? Whereas, you see, sex that's given, it's for them. It's other person-centered. It's, it's a beautiful expression. A beautiful expression of sacrificial, self-giving love. What a radical idea. Friends, everything Jesus is about to say about sex, it sits squarely on one side of this chasm. I bet you can guess which side that is. And the reason that we find these words so confronting, I think, is that too often we sit on the other side as we think about this maybe without even realising it, because we get so relentlessly bombarded from all sides by the world's view on sex, don't we? Like, it's, it's hard to even comprehend just how pervasive it is. It's everywhere. And so I think it can be easy to miss the kind of impression that it leaves on us, which is why we need to preach passages like the one we're looking at today as uncomfortable as it might be. Remember, it is good, uncomfortable. So then what is Jesus saying here in his Sermon on the Mount? Well, make sure to have the passage open in front of you as we take a look. Matthew 5, 27 is where we begin and we hear him call us to faithfulness. Verse 27, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, just like we heard last week. Jesus is using this formula. He uses it six times through the sermon. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. This is not Jesus updating the Ten Commandments. He's not adding a bunch of new, stricter laws. He's digging down deeper. Digging down deeper under the letter of the law to uncover the spirit of the law. Digging down to expose what had actually been there all along. And it's this, the command to not commit adultery wasn't simply to stop spouses from sleeping around, it was actually a call to faithfulness, to faithfulness, to be those who foster and cherish faithfulness in their relationships, to be people of commitment and loyalty and people of their promises, you know, that, that is what Jesus reveals in these verses, whether he's talking about lust or divorce, or from verse 33, talking about the breaking, or making a breaking of oaths, Jesus is calling us to be faithful. I'm actually going to leave the breaking of oaths section for discussion in growth groups this week, 
we're going to focus on Jesus' condemnation of lust and divorce in particular, both of which involve sexual pursuits outside the bounds of a married relationship. So they're both examples of unfaithfulness. Adultery is the word Jesus uses. Now, it's fairly straightforward how this might be the case when it comes to lust, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's not just sexual actions that matter. Our thought life does too. That's what Jesus is saying. Our thought life matters. God cares about what's happening in our hearts, on our insides, not just our outsides. And so to indulge in sexual fantasies with people in your mind is actually to commit adultery with them in your heart, Jesus says. So lust is fairly clear how that works. I think it's a little less clear when it comes to divorce. Just going to say a few quick things about that one. I, I don't think Jesus is giving a blanket prohibition on all divorce here. I think the Bible is clear from, from the very start that divorce is not part. It's not part of God's original design. It's not the way it's meant to be. And it's always tragic. Whatever the circumstance, it's always tragic. But, but though it's tragic, God's actually given us divorce as a mercy, a mercy that helps us to live life in this broken world, even if it's not the way that it was meant to be. It's always complex and, and case by case, but I think the Bible's clear that there actually are legitimate reasons to seek for divorce, and that in those cases, remarriage is allowed. In fact, in all the Old Testament examples where divorce is discussed, actually God is permitting divorce precisely to allow a spouse, particularly women, to get remarried. Like that's actually the point of issuing a certificate. Given that, Jesus isn't condemning all forms of, of divorce. He's condemning the abuse of divorce. As someone who's using divorce and remarriage in order to really cover up their adultery or perhaps to try to make it lawful. It's, it's to divorce one partner because you want to go and marry someone else. And this was actually a debate that was raging amongst rabbis at the time. You know, is this permitted under Jewish law? Not at all, Jesus says. This too is adultery, he tells us. It's unfaithfulness. It's breaking the spirit of the law because God calls us to be people of our promises, right? What God has joined together, let no one separate. So whether it's adultery of the heart by lust or a lawful adultery through the abuse of divorce, Jesus rejects them both, doesn't he? And in doing so, he's revealing to us the very heart of God the very heart of God. He is a God who cherishes and champions faithfulness. Jesus uses a word there in verse 32 for sexual immorality. Porneia is the word in Greek. It's a broad term that, that describes any sexual activity that occurs outside the context of a marriage union. And, and all forms of porneia essentially involve taking What's well, not yours to take? It goes for all forms of lust, whether it's while you're out and about 
or, or, or on a screen. When we indulge in sexual fantasies, we're taking what's not ours to take. And we're also objectifying the one who is being lusted over. They exist merely as sexual objects in our minds rather than as the real person made in the image of God that they are. I mean, that's awful, isn't it? Pornography is basically long-distance prostitution. And porn websites are online brothels. And if, if, if that sounds a little harsh to you, perhaps it's because you're on the wrong side of the chasm. And it's the same with casual sex or when a married partner sleeps around or when a, a dating couple decide to jump the gun. It is taking what's not yours to take. Just like porn, you know, casual sex says to someone, all I care about you is your sexuality. That's all that matters to me. That's all you are to me. Or adultery in a marriage, it, it involves taking from someone else what belongs to your partner alone. It's taking that unique unity and it's sharing it with other people. Dating relationships, I think, are are perhaps the hardest. I say this to our young people every chance that I get. Christian dating is hard. Like, it is hard. And that's because all the other dating relationships around us carry on as if they're already married. Like, that's how our world dates these days, isn't it? They just start acting like they're already married. It's, it's premarital marriage. But it's dangerous. And it's damaging. And that's because they're trying to live like a married couple without a net, right? Without the protection, without the commitment of publicly witnessed, legally binding, lifelong promises. They want to act married without all of that. It, and it's not a small thing. In fact, it's a stupid thing. Friends, the simple reality is whenever we remove sex from the only context for which it was created, we are taking what is not ours to take and we're being unfaithful. Unfaithful with the one you're doing it with, unfaithful to your spouse or perhaps to a future spouse, unfaithful to ourselves as we dis distort sex to be all about us. And ultimately and most importantly, we're being unfaithful to God and unfaithful to His vision for faithfulness in relationships. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us where Deb spoke about last week, in the, in the living in the kingdom collision. I really love that idea. And part of what makes all this so challenging for us is that we're living between these two kingdoms, aren't we? Straddling the chasm, so to speak. With, with the coming of Jesus, the, the, the kingdoms have collided, and they're still colliding today. I think we feel that collision, right? As we take up the calling of God's kingdom to live it out now, we feel the tension of the collision. And here in the West, it is sex and sexuality where this tension is perhaps most profound at the moment. So what do we do? How can we pursue faithfulness while living in a world that is going in the complete opposite direction. 
Well, firstly, we need to know and trust that everything Jesus is saying here this morning is actually good news. I was talking to Andrew this week, drawing on his wisdom for today. And, you know, I mean, you know, Andrew's a fairly even-keeled kind of guy, isn't he? He's a steady sailor. But as we were talking all of this through, he suddenly leaned forward, he hit his desk, and he said, this is good news. I was like, whoa, Andrew, where'd that come from? But he's right. It is good news. It is good news. You see, as Jesus says no to objectifying others through lust, he's saying yes to us treating each other with dignity and respect, not as sexual objects to be exploited, but as the image bearers of God. That's a beautiful thing. As he says no to to pornea in all of its forms, he's saying yes. He's saying yes to sex as God designed it to be, as a powerful symbol of self-giving union between a husband and wife. That is a beautiful thing. As he says no to adultery and betrayal and deception, he's saying yes to faithful commitment, to loyalty, to, to us keeping our promises. Friends, that's a beautiful thing too. Jesus is revealing his vision for the kingdom here in these words. And it is good news. We need to trust that. Secondly, Jesus tells us that faithfulness might well involve some kind of surgery. I'm sure you noticed that in verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow. Fairly drastic action, you have to say. And what are we to make of it? Well, poor origin of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers, he took Jesus' words far too literally. Let's just say he didn't lose an eye or a hand. I'm just going to leave it at that. One commentator describes origin as a man whose zeal greatly exceeded his wisdom. One way to put it. <laughs> yep. Jesus is not advocating actual bodily harm here. He might be relieved to hear. But it is an arresting image. One of the most arresting things Jesus ever said, I reckon, which at least should alert us to the fact just how serious this needs to be taken, right? We, should, we don't just shrug at sexual sin. And, and, and when it's taken hold in our lives, it may actually require some decisive action on our part. I think that begins with awareness, what we spent the first part of today's sermon doing, right? Recognizing just how big the chasm is between God's vision for sex and the world's. And as we mature in our faith, we should actually become more sensitive to this chasm, not less, not desensitized. I wonder if that's your experience. We also need to be pursuing just a ruthlessly honest awareness of ourselves. What are your pitfalls? What are your triggers? What are your temptations in this area? Because you can't perform surgery if you're not willing to see the problems. Can you see yours? And when you do, what might cutting it out look like? It might look like preparing your mind before heading to the beach 
especially in a place here like Manly, it's out of control, right? We put sunscreen on our skin to protect us from the sun, but what about our minds? I've had friends in the past who, who've memorized Job 31 verse 1, where he says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully. They'll memorize that and they'll recite it to themselves when they're out and they can sense the temptation around them. It's like sunscreen for their minds. Others choose not to watch or read particular things, you know, shows, movies, books, because of the distorted way that it presents sex. The way it's trying to teach us about what the world thinks about sex. And so they actually refuse to let the world teach them. Maybe you need to do that. Or if it's pornography that you're struggling with. The, sat, the stats suggest that actually there's going to be plenty here who do. You need to cut it out. Have you shared that with anyone? The sin thrives in the darkness, like it really does, but it withers in the light. So bring it out into the light and let someone walk with you as you fight it. And if you don't have someone to talk to, I'm sure Andrew would love to have a chat, come and talk to me, any of the pastoral staff. You know, decisive action on this front is also going to involve protecting yourself from your devices. Smartphones are great, but if this is your struggle, then your smartphone is, it's like porn in, in your pocket. Like it really is. I've got three boys at home who all love their screen time. Surprise, surprise. But as a family, we've installed a filtering service called Covenant Eyes. And not only does it block the most depraved parts of the internet, it also sends out a regular report, emails you a regular report of what's been happening across every device, including Bell, her devices, and my own. It costs us a monthly fee, but man, is it worth it. <laughs> it's worth it because I don't want my boys growing up with unfiltered access to the internet. It also gives us a chance to talk to them about it, why it's important. That's our responsibility as parents. But I would be lying if I said it was just for them, right? I don't want to have to fight the temptation on my own either. I want that accountability too. What about you? And for those who are married, myself included, we need to be vigilant. We need to be vigilant, don't we? Because adultery actually just starts as a trickle, as a drip. Even as, as we've talked about the topic today, even as we've read about adultery in the Word today, has your mind jumped to someone? Maybe from, from work, maybe from here, maybe from somewhere else. And maybe you haven't done anything about it, but they're there in your mind. Don't let them stay there. Take decisive action. Tell friend, one of the pastoral staff, maybe even your spouse, stop the trickle before it goes any further. No other section of scripture makes us face ourselves like the Sermon on the Mount. It is violent, but its violence can be our ongoing liberation. 
I wonder, have you felt that today? Because the truth is we're all sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God and all of us face some kind of sexual brokenness in our past or perhaps even right now in our present. For those who felt uncomfortable today, I'm praying that it's the good kind, right? That it's woken you up to the need to take decisive action in some way because this is weighty stuff and I, I can tell you I've been feeling the weight of this passage all week. But the amazing news of the gospel, of course, is that though we are unfaithful, our God isn't. He remains faithful to us. That is the gospel, isn't it? Though our unfaithfulness, sorry, our faithfulness will often fail, God's faithfulness never has, it never does, and it never will. I mean, he sent Christ to die for our sin while we were unfaithful to him. So whatever acts of unfaithfulness are in your past or in your present, lay them at the foot of the cross. Ask for his forgiveness. In his faithfulness, he will surely grant it. As we're promised in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give us a few moments uh, of silence now, a chance to pray and reflect, perhaps to confess on your own. You might like to particularly bring before the Lord our young people who are going to be hearing this message tonight and really need to hear this message tonight who are struggling to make sense of this in our world, you might like to pray for them too. I'm also going to put up words which you might be familiar with from Psalm 51. Words written by King David himself in the wake of his own terrible adultery. Here was his response. Read them, pray them, reflect on them. And in a few moments, I'm actually going to call us to, to say the Lord's Prayer together. So let's spend some time in prayer.
pray the words of the Lord's Prayer in closing. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a final song together. Lead us, Heavenly Father, lead us. Let's stand and sing. Take your seats. Well, Jesus does bring good news, doesn't it? Uh, the arrival of God the Son amongst us to establish the kingdom of heaven in this world brings good news and a vision of what is good. It's been wonderful to hear from God's word today. Just a reminder as we get ready to finish up, uh, if you've filled out one of these forms, I'd love to see it. Uh, you'll note at the, uh, at the top it says, I'd like to have a conversation with someone about. Just filling this out doesn't necessarily commit you to it, but it does open up the possibility of a con conversation with me or Christina or somebody else. And don't forget the opportunity to serve as a welcomer. Chris would love to hear from you about that. As we wrap up, let's uh, hear this encouragement from the Book of Romans. Shall we say this together? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that
overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Look forward to seeing you next week and, of course, across the uh, courtyard at morning tea.